Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. John Apatow and Pete Holmes first met on a podcast, and ever since, they've developed a wonderful working relationship. Holmes first pitched the idea for crashing to Apatow on his late, great TBS late night show, and I caught up with both the stand-up comedian and with the writer, director, producer on the set of HBO's Crashing at the Comedy Cellar, where they were filming an upcoming episode for the comedy's third season. Apatow and Holmes told me why Pete makes Crashing different from all the other TV series about comedians, how they keep it real on screen and off stage, and much more. So let's get to it! First season where he's actually funny. <laughs> Pretty well with two seasons where he was trying to learn how to be funny. And this is the first one where he, he has real gigs and he's traveling the country doing colleges. So, you know, we explore uh, how you get to a certain place where you have to decide if you're going to be hacky yeah. or unique and original. Yeah. We're just trying to stay true to the character and the and the the world. We're trying to be as accurate as we can be. And it's a you know, it's an opportunity for us to explore the comedy scene, but also the type of people that want to be comedians and the different struggles that they go through, the different, you know, emotional journeys you have when you're trying to be funny and you're also trying to grow up in some way. Speaking of accuracy, you know, you're a disciple of Gary Shandling, uh-huh. and congrats on the Emmy nominations Thank for you, your sir. documentary. But as as such, I know you really want to get accurate and mm-hmm. get to the real heart of the story. What, when you're watching other TV shows or movies that deal with the world of comedy, what bugs you? What bothers me? When you're watching how other people portray comedy. Mm. I think that uh, it's very hard to show the behavior of comedians, so it's a little easier for us because most people are playing themselves, and right. if I just roll the camera for a while and people relax, <laughs> they might start sounding like themselves and being funny like the way they are. I think when it's too tightly scripted, it, it can lose its naturalness, and that's something that we're always struggling to try to figure out how to do well. How do you, how do you capture what the vibe is in a comedy club and the way they interact with each other. Right. And, and for us, you know, we, we work really hard on our scripts, but we also try to stay loose enough that people can bring their real energies and personalities to it. I know, I know some, some comedians uh, took issue with season mm-hmm. one, the fact that, that Pete Holmes, when he wasn't funny yet, could be able to crash with the likes of a Sarah Silverman. I, I don't think that's inaccurate. I was very unfunny, and there were plenty of people who were really nice to me. Uh, I'm always shocked at who would sit with me and talk with me and, and you know, give me gigs when I, I was really bad. And that's what I like about comedy is I think a lot of comedy people have a good radar for who's funny, who's worth their time, and they see promise in people. There's a lot more camaraderie than, than, than people expect. Believe me, I'm sure Artie Lang has hung out with a lot of weird people, not just Pete. No, he's, no, he's, hung, he's hung out with me. So yeah. <laughs> and Sarah's always been very kind to people, and, and she likes to help people out. 
the comedy world was particularly um, hit, I feel, like Me Too and Time's Up. Are you going to touch on that this season? We, we do have a, an episode uh, where we show Ali go on the road and what it's like for a comedian to travel to a, another town and, and how they're how they're treated and what they go through. So in that episode, we've attempted to give you a sense of what what happens and, and how hard it is for women. That's Jamie Lee's... I hope what makes a difference is mainly Pete. He's just a unique type of person that you don't see on TV that often. And I, I think with a lot of these shows, it, it is about the main person you're following. And he's uh, an, an, certainly an original. What kind of conversations do you still have with Pete in terms of getting to make sure that he's playing an earlier version of himself mm-hmm. since he's already a success, already has HBO special? Yeah. Uh, he, he remembers all his pain. He's very, he's very good. He can dial it back he, down uh, he doesn't several have, years. He doesn't seem to have any trouble. <laughs> now, we, you know, no one wants to see a show about the new arrogant Pete Holmes. <laughs> The new high on his hog HBO star Pete Holmes. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's the last season. As he, he turns into the Pete Holmes of crashing. Maybe worlds will collide mm-hmm. and we catch up with reality. <laughs> how, do, how do you go about reconstructing live comedy in places such as the Comedy Cellar or Gotham or the Hollywood Improv in the daytime when it's yes. extras and... It's funny how it, it works. If you, if you get any hundred people in the room and you tell jokes to them, they're pretty close to a real crowd. Every once in a while you might have to say, give them more energy, or sometimes give them less energy, because sometimes we don't want them to do well, and the issue is they do well anyway. Right. But for the most part, it, it works. Uh, everyone wants to laugh, even extras. <laughs> Pete! Pete. Hello, it's me, Pete. Pete, get over here. Hi, Sean L. Hi, here, Pete. Pete. Hi, Dad. Pete, can you hold my microphone? Awesome. Uh, he has two beverages. Yeah. I have three beverages, actually. But yeah. So, so Pete, Judd was just talking about how it's so easy for you to still dial it back, <laughs> dial it back down to when you were younger and less confident. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if there's anything easier than being less confident. <laughs> <laughs> you have the confidence to know you can be less confident at any moment. Now, with, with, <laughs> with, um, with so many other shows about comedians, what, Sean, what, that's no, no, defeatist. I'm just no, kidding. No, my, my, question is, my question is, what do you, when you, one, do you watch the other shows? And two, what do you take away from those? I'm either, not aware of any other Either shows. good or bad in terms of things. Oh, they're getting that wrong. Or, oh, they get that right. Let's try to make sure we do that as well. Um, well, I think the reason there's so many shows about comedy is because the job of a comedian is to figure out who you are, communicate that, and have it be accepted. So that's very relatable. Uh, really, that, a show about chefs would be about the same thing, or a show about teachers or mothers would be about the same thing. But comedians have the added benefit of being able to be funny. So I think that's why we keep seeing it over and over. Our show's trying to do something a little bit different from the shows that I have seen, like mm-hmm. Louie or Seinfeld or whatever, and that we're showing in real time. In fact, Jed's always trying to slow it down. Mm-hmm. We're both, we share a vision of slowing it down. Um, what it's like, ah, what, it's, what it's like to start in comedy. Right. So I've, I've seen... But I, not like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I've only seen the pilots of Maisel. I thought it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I saw the but, pilot for I'm Dying Up Here and I read that book and I thought it was wonderful. Um, right, those are both period pieces though. 
Yeah. That's a stark difference. But that's what I mean. I feel like stand-up's just a really good engine to put in whatever story you're trying to tell. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I don't think, is really about stand-up in the same way that our, sh- uh, our show is. And I'm Dying Up Here is different. They're all different. Right. Even though they have some similarities. But we just love it because it's emotionally honest people. It's like the Sopranos. He's talking to his therapist, right? We talk on stage. You have that same sort of, oh, he's being real device. And that's something that we do in this season a lot, which is my character's in a new relationship. And then you kind of see how he really feels a little bit more when he talks about it on stage. So he can kind of leak out the truth in the same way that a therapy session might for a non-comedian or, or a candid chat with a lover because that's the next level is like you date a comedian and now you're no longer together but you're still in the world together that that seems like a very ripe area for comedy so that that's one thing that we're going to explore for sure that's also very real for you and jamie yeah yeah jamie and i dated irl as the kids say it was over a decade it was like a decade ago wow yeah what am i steely dan (laughs) It was 10 years ago, and, and now we're still very close. Yeah. Um, but that's the next level of a relationship. Although I will say with Allie, it's very different. The relationship was different, and our relationship after the relationship is different, too. I just told Judd that my birthing class teacher seemed to have a problem with Knocked Up. <laughs> she kept looking at me because she knew I was doing a show with Judd, and she kept going, like, birthing is not a comedy. <laughs> she was like, I was like, I'll tell him. I'll tell him what you said. Um, I'm excited. I mean, it would have to be down, 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 down the road for Pete, to, my character, to have babies and stuff. Maybe that'll be a, a different project. Who knows? I'd be so annoyed by your baby material. Oh, my God. <laughs> Kumail used to have all these jokes about how cute his cat was. I called it cute male. Because it, it'd always be like, she's so adorable. And I was like, shut up. So I'm going to try and keep it. I'll run it by Judd first to make sure it's not too saccharine. Because whenever you write your baby jokes, you say them as if no one has ever had a baby. Before. I know. I know. <laughs> Is there anything worse? I am proud that when you were like, we were on stage the other night and you were like, so you're having a baby. And I realized I haven't had one observation. Because I'm just like, it's, it's been done. It's been covered. I'm just going to try and experience my wife's pregnancy and our child and stuff as purely as possible, at least at the beginning. And if the bits fall in, that's what I do with all my bits. I just wait for them to show up. So I never go like, it would be good to have some pregnancy material. I just wait for something. Actually, what I wait is for the thought and then I forget it. And then I wait for the thought to come back. <laughs> that's how you know it's good. Cause so you didn't never come back for me. <laughs> <laughs> I forget something. It never, ever, but there'll just be like a haunting feeling. There was an idea. That's so, I know that feeling. You know the Hedberg bit? Where he goes, sometimes I'll be sitting in a comfortable chair and I'll think of something funny. Unless I can't, and then I'll look for a pen to write it down. But if I can't find a pen, I just convince myself it wasn't that funny. (laughs) How often often do do the two of you watch a younger comic? Speaking about comics feeling they're the first to say something. How often do you see a younger comic on stage saying something in... They clearly think they're the first to discover a topic, and then you have to talk to them afterward and go, "Yeah, this is actually." This Do you? Is. I'm like, I talked about my Harry back 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know I feel that way every time the Olympics comes around. That people always feel oh, like they're the first hilarious. to discover something about gymnasts or figure skaters or. Yeah, what was it? I realized that everyone writes a sex is weird joke. 
that's like a, a top, like I did it. Mm-hmm. And somebody was like, you know, Norm does that. All these other people do the like, it's weird. I wait for this thing to get big and then I put it in here and then I take it out and put it back in. Like, it's very easy to just kind of describe sex and people will die laughing. Right. So you see, I've seen like four or five people, myself one of them, but I had to stop doing it. Judd mentioned that this season, part of it is your journey in deciding how hack you're going to be. Yeah. I, th- I think I sort of start... Which is which is kind of a follow-up from the NACA episode. Yeah. Where you had well, that decision right. to make. Well, you can be very successful being... I like to say broad. <laughs> Instead of hack? Especially Accessible? A lot of the material that is hack is my own material. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to call it broad. But it is hacky. And classics. It's, you call them classics. They're classics. Here's the funny thing, though. Oldies but goodies. I remember the day we were taping, and I was doing my most broad set, and I'm sort of like, the artist in me is like, this isn't my best stuff. And a lot of the crew was like, that was your best set. I love that set. So there's something... Accessible. Ex- accessible. It's accessible. It's accessible. Because it's been done so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's relatable. Well, yeah. But it's interesting because everybody has had sex and it's weird. Everybody has a dog or a cat. Everybody. Yeah, it's hard to write a. Everybody has a lizard. (laughs) It's good. It's easy to write a unique lizard. Everybody has looked at somebody from the other race and gone, they're different from me. How are they different? Yes. I, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting at this point in Pete's career, he's sort of deciding what kind of comedian he's going to be, which that might seem like a privileged thing. Like he's got some, a little bit of money now, he's in an apartment now and he has the freedom. But really any comedian when they're on stage has the freedom to choose what kind of jokes they're going to tell. And he's sort of going, am I going to go this way or go that way? He's really being pulled in a lot of directions. I, I had a weird experience here last night, which is I did a set at the Village Underground at one in the morning after we wrapped. It was <laughs> filthy. And then my daughter's friend walked over and said, Hey, Joe. Oh, my God. <laughs> All of Maud's friends are sitting at that table. <laughs> no. Yeah. We loved your empty your balls bit. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally that bad. <laughs> Maud, your dad's creepy. Um, Judd did my podcast. Speaking of everything being recorded, you can hear the first time Judd and I met the first time he did my podcast, which is called You Made It Weird. Um, and I asked my manager, Dave Rath, if he would ask Judd to do it. And uh, he did, which is incredible. And I asked Judd, why are you doing this? Because <laughs> I was very confused why he would say yes to it. And he said, I have nothing to lose. <laughs> and, and then we became friends. So it was me, Kumail, Nanjiani, Chris Gethard, and Todd Berry. Well, that was at South by Southwest. Uh-huh. And... Uh, how many years later Judd was doing a TV show with me, a movie with Kumail, and a one-man show for HBO with Chris Gethard. Todd is obviously Todd, and he's great. But we called it the most... I know. (laughs) It's always awkward that I have to gloss over Todd. But um, (laughs) we called it the most productive podcast in human history because we all had such a great time, and because of that, we stayed in touch. And then I did a talk show, and Judd did a sketch on my talk show... And you can actually see the sketch on YouTube. I actually, as a joke, pitch him this show as a joke. And he goes, that's too sad. (laughs) He goes, nobody would want to see that. That's sad. He's obviously joking. And then when my talk show got canceled, I I flew out to New York and pitched this show to him on the set of Trainwreck. And then, and here we are. It's kind of wild. So when I had the idea, I was like, it's sort of a, a man child, like a stunted man who needs some growing up who has something happen to him, like knocked up, in that it's a pregnancy, in this it's a divorce. And he's also inexperienced, which is like 40-year-old virgin, 
And I was like, oh, this has notes of things he's done before. So when I pitched it to him, I was like, I'm not pitching this to you because you're like a Hollywood tastemaker or something, or like that you can open doors for me, even though I know you can. I'm pitching this to you because I think you'll like the story. And he did. And, uh, but there was no like, I'll do it. He just said, uh, write it. And then I, I wrote it. I wrote it two days later. I sent it to him. And that happened five times. He kept asking me for another episode, another episode. And I'd send it back to him very, very quickly. And that's, I think if he was, I don't know what he would, he'd probably make fun of me for telling the story. But he, uh, he likes working that way. He likes working fast. He wants to work with someone that if you say you like it and you want to do it, write it. Yeah. Don't take two months to write. Do it now. And that's, that's how I work. So we, we enjoy that. I, I think, you know, being quiet is really important and having time to think. Nobody's bored anymore. Nobody's bored. We're always looking at our phones or our computers. I mean, you look at pornography when you're horny. You eat the second you're hungry. You sleep the second you're tired. Every, every need is met. We're just, like, consuming machines. And there's no, there's no time for something you might not like immediately, like boredom or meditation or just sitting and looking out the window or eating an apple or thinking about the fact that we're floating on a planet. Nobody does this. People do do this, but we don't do it as often. And I think that boredom, if ideas are like fish, boredom is like a still lake and you can see your ideas. You can see the fish. As opposed to if you keep splashing the water because you're listening to every new Kanye track the second it comes out or whatever it is, the water's too choppy. You need some, not that you can't listen to the new Kanye track, but you need to let it settle and maybe take a day. You know, the Jews are right. Take a day. <laughs> when an idea pops up, do you, do you write it right away? How do you, I mean... Well, not, I, I sort of alluded to that earlier. It's like, not, sometimes, yes. Often I do. Because you might forget. I might forget. I try, but then like, then there's another style, which is, I don't really want an idea. I want to find something that I feel really passionate about. So if I just, if I'm talking to either of you and I just realize that I have very strong opinions about men's hats, and you know, you just get that feeling, like you kind of light up inside and you're like, I just don't think men's, and you and you catch yourself feeling passionate. I might not write down a joke or anything. I'll just be like, mental note, you seem to care about men's hats a lot. And then maybe it won't be a month, a month later, I'll think about it again. But if I really care about it, it's not going to go away. That's like a topic. But if I think of a joke, I write it down. Do you cultivate boredom in your life? Do you have I do. Where you just put all the electronics away? Absolutely. Yeah. I just got an alert on my phone that's... Uh, oh, I'm so proud of this. It was like, your average on your phone is 51 minutes. And it said the average of everyone else that uses the app, it's called Moment, it tracks how long you're on your phone, is four hours. And it goes, you're three hours under the average. And I was like, I feel really good about that. <laughs> I was super proud. So yeah, but that's because I'm, I'm trying. Of course, I want to look at my phone more, and I want to... Val and I try to, my, this is my wife, we try to be bored. We try to do nothing on, on Saturday. Um, no screens, something outside, all that sort of stuff. We're not always great at it. Like, we go through phases. Um, maybe next thing we know, we realize we've been watching, like, five hours of TV or something. So we're not superhuman. But, yes, it's a daily struggle to try to remember that the moment is all we have and the phone is just it's a fucking it's an Us Weekly and a slot machine or what, what do you have OK Magazine 
It's a garbage <laughs> magazine and a slot machine, and you're a lab rat, and you're somebody's. Can I say? The B word? You're somebody's slave, basically. Like, <laughs> someone who doesn't love or There's care about you slave. figured out your brain chemistry and what you respond to physiologically and then manipulates that for money. That's, that's yeah. assault, basically. Yes. Are you going to be that parent? No. And it was sold to us as a convenience and a luxury and, and a good thing. And it is. I mean, it, it's sure helpful finding a restaurant or calling a car or uh, listening to music or whatever it might be. So, yeah, but I, I think it's important to remember that these things aren't being given to us by anybody that, that loves you or has your best interests in mind. Remember, Steve Jobs didn't give his kids iPads either, which I think is very important. It's called dog fooding. It's, it's when a CEO of a company will eat a can of dog food. If he owns a dog food company, he'll eat the dog food yeah. to show that it's so high quality that even a human can eat it. But Steve Jobs did not dog food his own products. I'm not pointing a finger at Steve Jobs. It's just true. He didn't give his kids iPads, iPhones, because he knew. Who would know better than him? Yeah. You should see red in a raspberry, not in a fucking the YouTube app zooming at your face to show you what. I'm on a rant. See? <laughs> then I realize I care about it and I write it down. <laughs> I it. Yeah, right? We all understand. Well, you and were passionate about that years ago. You had that bit about Tom Petty, wasn't I it? I know. Looking, and you can look it up on your phone. And I was before a little you ahead of my time. <laughs> when, did, when did your attitude toward social media and technology change? Actually, I'm going to write down that it's an us we play in a slot machine. Do you mind? No, not at all. You don't mind. No. He doesn't mind. Slot machine. An us magazine. Or a garbage magazine. You yeah. To make it global. Well, you caught me in the morning. Talk to, if you talk to me in four hours, I'm, I'm going to be so tired. <laughs> not in a bad way. We just give so much to the show that the morning is the best time. I mean, it's also 2 o'clock. <laughs> That's their yeah. morning because they shoot so late. Yeah. I'll have a transcript like of this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But, Pete, do you remember when your attitude changed about the technology I, and the phone and the social media? I mean, it might have been... Was there a breaking point? That's a great question. And I don't want to just give you an answer because I thought of one. Yeah. I want to give you the real answer. No, I just, I just took... Twitter and Facebook off my phone a couple weeks ago. Oh, really? Yeah. That's great. I realized how much it was dominating. Well, you, you see that, like, you do get these little endorphin bumps from you post a photo and every time there's a comment. That's what I mean is people are figuring out how the buttons in your brain work and just how to titillate you. And you go like, oh, someone said I looked handsome in that photo. And you get the little jolt. But, um... It's, you know, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good to be addicted to anything. Don't, don't, I, I think I just started getting more interested in, in personal freedom mm. and reality. Uh, I, I, I don't know exactly when that happened. But maybe when I took mushrooms, that was the answer that I first <laughs> thought of. As a comedian, though, it seems like comedians are built to be addicted to those things. Because you feel like you need... I suppose. You need the... Well, when you're coming up, you I'll, need the I'll attention. Say, you need the, the clicks. You need the views. You yeah. need the shares. It is an interesting perspective for somebody who... I get on stage and I try and get likes in real time. So there's a paradox there. But there's also something deeply communal about doing stand-up. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it feels like a bunch of baboons huddled together mm -hmm. and sort of tickling each other. It, it feels 
ancient in a, in a great way. And that's why people still come out to live stand-up shows, is even though you could watch it on YouTube, polished and perfected and great, and you, you can get surround sound and invite a friend over and really make a thing of it, but people still huddle into this stinky f- former restaurant, you know what I mean? And, and why? And sweat and pay money? It's because we like being together. But if you could see how many views you had in the UK or how many views you had in the Philippines, would that be something a number you'd want to see? I, I'm very... No. <laughs> no. What's the, what am I going to do with that? Not to sound like Seinfeld. I love Seinfeld. Seinfeld's always like, no, what do I care? I don't care. I don't care. I mean, why would I care? I can't control it. What am I going to go to the Philippines and go door to door and beg people to watch the show? But I, I'm with you. Like Some people really want to know how something's doing. I will say that getting to a certain place in my career helped me calm down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to me even two, three years ago when I was hungrier for it, maybe I would have been on my phone more than 51 minutes. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.